This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and I know it's been a long time, but I am back. It's been, I want to say, almost a year since the SBI Show has uh, been off the air um, since before the pandemic. Um, and I apologize for that, but we are back, and I am back, and I'm back just in time to talk about the MLS draft. And I know that's not everybody's cup of tea. If you're uh, if you're not an MLS fan, or or if you are a Philadelphia Union fan, you probably don't care about the draft. But we are going to talk about the draft in depth, in detail. And then guess what? The U.S. Men's National Team plays later this month, and I, I might not get into it as much this episode. But uh, the show is back; it's going to be back now. And um, you know, we're going to do this episode, uh, and I'm going to try to have uh, I, the plan is I'm going to have a Friday episode breaking down the picks that uh, the way the draft broke down, the MLS draft and, and obviously everything else. And then we're going to get rolling into having the show back. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely, once again, I apologize that, that, you know, we went off the air, obviously with the pandemic, things got crazy and uh, a lot of other things uh, took priority. And, and, you know, the plan was always to bring the show back. Um, just things just kept getting in the way. And we tried a few other, other ventures, uh, briefly, uh, I definitely tried to get back on the uh, YouTube wave, and, and that didn't quite work out. We're on hold right now, the, the, trying to figure out if we're going to get our channel back. That's a whole other conversation. But uh, first things first, we're going to talk um, MLS draft because that, I think that's uh, that's what this episode's about. That's what has brought me back. That's what finally said, you know what? I need to get the show back. Um, and it's again, we're not going to talk MLS draft forever, but this with the draft on Thursday uh, and with with so much information to pass along because listen i'm a i'm a i'm a junkie i'm an mls draft junkie i've I've been covering it uh in depth for you know 15 years and and have covered it for 20 plus years now um to some degree and we know the mls draft the emphasis uh on the draft in the league has gone down right the 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 impact of the mls draft has been reduced with the development of homegrown players uh, and the homegrown academies. Now that teams actually are figuring it out, how to develop their own talent, how to play their own talent, how to sell their own talent. Um, Now you're seeing that more and more. You're seeing more quality come through the academies and you're seeing those academies take more of that top young American talent out of the pipeline that would normally take them to college. And that's not a bad thing. Trust me. That's a, that's a good thing. You want the, these top players in the pro system as soon as possible, as at a much younger age. And I still remember, you know, 10 years, even 10 years ago, forget 20 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, teenage Americans just wouldn't see the field in MLS. You know, they, you know, they'd be lucky to make the, they'd be lucky to make the roster. Um, and if they made the roster, they'd be stuck on the bench. So it, it wasn't a great setup. But now you have top young American talent uh, going to MLS academies and a lot of them going to Europe. And now you're seeing, you know, more and more teenagers like Gio Reyna, Matthew Hopi, uh, just really do well in Europe. And you're seeing players like Brendan Aronson make the move to Europe uh, at a younger age. So it's great to see. It's great to see. But the draft still has its role. And there's still plenty of talent that's falling through the cracks that doesn't get into that pipeline, that direct pipeline to the academies or that direct pipeline to Europe. And that's where the draft still has a role to play. So. Uh, we're we're going to get into it here and and just discuss the uh, the talent that's in this draft. And this draft is actually there's some talent in this draft. To be clear, uh, I know some people will wonder, um, you know, if uh, if if can my team find a player that can help me? 
Um, and that, and that's kind of the question, right? And, uh, and now we're going to find out, we're going to find out. And I, and I've spent a while now really digging into this draft class and I can tell you there's players in this draft. There's talent in this draft. Are there players that are ready to, you know, come in and be MLS all-stars? Not probably not, probably not. But you have some players here that could could absolutely develop into into all stars, could develop into potential transfers, and a lot of it is really it's it's really it really comes down to um, a, a variety of factors because you have obviously you have to have the talent, but you also have to have the opportunity. You have to go to a team where the opportunity is going to be there to to get playing time. Um, but then and then also the development um, environment. And having the right coaches, the right coaching staff. If you have those three those three things working in your favor, you you have a chance to make it because it can't just be talent. Because if you have the talent and you go to a team with a bad coach, bad setup, bad system, and you you know they, there's no place for you to get on the field, you're you're going to stagnate. And that and that's and we've seen that happen. We've seen talented players that just you know they couldn't break through, and, and maybe it takes them longer to get to to get to where you know where they can go with their talent. You know, some players stagnate, they move on, and then. And then they really break through. As the, you know, I remember some players just coming up, you know, at the ranks. When you think about someone like Dax McCarty uh, going way back, you know, Dax McCarty when he first came into the league, you know, he, he couldn't get on the field, he couldn't play as much, but then eventually he did. And then you know, later in his career, he really became you know an all-star level player. Um, someone like Kyle Beckerman, when Kyle Beckerman came into the league as a, I want to say he was a teenager, you know, he you know he couldn't get on the field right away. Um, and nowadays, you're seeing. More and more young players get that that opportunity. You're seeing more and more teams really buy into that um, idea of getting their young players playing time. And, uh, you know, you look at Philadelphia Union, obviously, with what they've done. They just sold Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson to Europe. Uh, two young players, big parts of their supporter show winning team. FC Dallas, we, we, we know what's going on there with, you know, Brian Reynolds, who's on his way most likely to Europe. Not a done deal yet, but it's in the works. Uh, we'll see where he goes. Uh, at this point, we don't know. You know, some people seem to think they know where he's going. Uh, but once, you know, once a deal is finalized and once he goes, there's another young American, another teenager making the jump to Europe. It's great to see. It's great to see. And it's great to see MLS teams figure it out. It's great to see MLS teams uh, understand the value in it and in, in, in the value of developing your own players and getting, throwing them in there and giving them that opportunity. So great to see. So we'll see how many of these other teams uh, take advantage of the draft because there's talent in there. And, you know, obviously we know the Philadelphia union are not using their draft picks. Uh, they've traded them all away. And, uh, you know, now it, it, they're kind of that one example. They've done it for a few years now, and and I'm not going to sit here and knock them because look, they're developing tons of talent in their academy. They're they're developing so much good talent in their academy that they can just trade some of it away. They traded two of their players. Uh, you know, they traded one to FC Dallas, a player who absolutely would have been a first round talent if he was in this draft, uh, Khalil Al Dakar uh, from Kentucky, uh, and then the reportedly they're they're also trading a goalkeeper, a young uh, a young academy product goalkeeper. So it just shows you um, what, you know, if you if you do it right, not only can you develop players for your first team, but then you can also start selling off some of, you know, the players that just that you don't have room for. So Philly, full credit to the union, they are doing it right. They're doing it right. Not everyone can say the same, unfortunately. Some teams are still uh, kind of figuring it out in terms of uh, developing that talent, getting it on the field. Uh, and some of those teams absolutely have to use the draft because, you know, they don't. They're not producing the academy talent that they need to to really kind of sustain uh, a full squad, right? 
So we'll see. Let's talk. Let's talk. I know I'm rambling on here. My first intro in a year. So I'm a little rusty. So bear with me. But we're going to get right into it. We're, we're first things first. We're talking MLS draft. And, and, and I'm going to have I'm hopefully going to have a few guests on the show uh, as they call in. We'll, we'll get them in and uh, just to give some insight into some of the top players in this draft. Um, and uh, but first things first, we're going to get right off the bat. Top of the draft. Austin FC expansion team. Claudia Arena. Josh Wolf. Uh, we're not going to go down the road with every single pick. The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to look at the very top players, the top picks, and then I'm going to get into the positions, right? Uh, I think that's kind of the best way to kind of break it down um, for folks, you know, who kind of have an, you know, have an idea what they think their teams need or what they would like their teams to get. Um, so I think that's the best way to really break this this draft field down is to go by positions after we get to the top of the draft. But top of the draft, Austin FC they got they have the first pick and they uh you know Philip Mayaka the Clemson midfielder he he really is uh the the most coveted player in this draft he's not the only possibility with the first pick uh i think it's a two horse race between Philip Mayaka and Calvin Harris no not the EDM DJ Calvin Harris but the Wake Forest midfielder uh, winger forward from England Calvin Harris and it's really for me those are the top two talents right uh, but by all accounts, Clemson is looking at Mayaka and they like Mayaka and, you know, they're not the only ones. Uh, I, I've had a chance to talk to quite a few head coaches and uh, sporting directors, technical directors around the league, just kind of, you know, feeling people out and get a sense for who people like. And uh, it's interesting. The consensus uh, by good margin is that Mayaka is the most coveted player in this draft. And, you know, you ask yourself, why? Why is it Mayaka? What is it about Mayaka? And it really comes down to his his kind of work rate in the middle, uh, his ability to, to kind of do that dirty work, but also connect and, and get forward. Uh, he's a, yeah, I've heard some interesting comparisons in there. I mean, I've heard everything from kind of, you know, shades of a little bit of Latif Blessing with a little bit of Diego Chara. And you always get into those. It's always a little tricky when you start throwing names out, right? Because, you, you know, you don't want to put undue... Uh, expectations on a player, um, especially when it's not like a kind of a direct comparison, right? Because no one's saying he is Latif Blessing. No one's saying he is Diego Chara, but you could say, okay, maybe he brings a some elements of that, those kind of flavors in his overall game. And I think that's that's what it comes down to. And that's why he is probably going to be the number one pick by Austin, F Austin FC. Um, and if it's not him, it's it's going to be, it's probably most likely going to be Calvin Harris, uh, the, the Wake Forest winger. Uh, super talented. He's from England, and we know the last time there was a winger from Wake, uh, an English winger from Wake Forest who was uh, ready to be drafted at or near the top of the draft, he did pretty well for himself, and that would be Jack Harrison, who now starts in the Premier League and is doing pretty well for himself. And NYCFC uh, got a few really good years out of him, and then they sold him for you know six million, which has to have gone up since then with performance bonuses because you know he helped them, he helped. Uh, Actually, it was a tra he was transferred to uh, originally he was transferred to Manchester City, and now he's 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 been at Leeds United. He's been at Leeds United, and I'm blanking right now enough that if, if a transfer has gone through there, now he's a he's a full time transferred player for Leeds. But back to the main point is Jack Harrison worked out pretty well, and not to say Calvin Harris is Jack Harrison, but um, if you're Claudio Arena and you have that first pick with Austin FC. And you were in charge when NYCFC traded for Jack Harrison, and you know how that worked out. Maybe if you're in, you're looking at it like, mm, do I want to go to that well again and, and see if I can uh, 
see if lightning can strike twice. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But for me, I think it's going to be Mayaka number one. FC Cincinnati, they have the second pick. And look, they need everything. They pretty much need, like you name it, they need it, right? I mean, a, a coach. They they got a coach for now. Yep, stop. Um, so they, you know, they you kind of have to go best talent if you're Cincinnati. And I know Cincinnati fans are, it's interesting. As bad as Cincinnati is, you got their, their fan base is very fervent. They're very hungry. They're very. They're in there. They're out there uh, on social media. They're they're very active, and and you know th- there's obviously a lot of chatter around Cincinnati, and it's great to see. It's great to see that they they haven't lost that that enthusiasm, uh, considering how bad the first two years have been. Um, but uh, you know now they have the number two pick in the draft, and we know when they came in they got Frankie Amaya. Frankie Amaya is looking pretty good, right? So he, you know that that pick has worked out for them. Uh, and now with the number two pick, do you go Calvin Harris, right? Uh, I, for me, I think that's what you do. I think you don't trade down. You don't trade out. You don't need the money. If you're if you're Cincinnati, right, you already have allocation money. You don't need more. You need players. And if you can get a player like Kevin ha- Calvin Harris, who's very highly regarded, who a lot of people think can be an impact player and could potentially have more upside even than Mayaka in terms of, if he develops, you're talking about real resale value. You come about transfer value. You know he is obviously he's from England. So if he pans out, if he turns into a standout player, you can sell him. And we know the premium on English players. So if you if I'm Cincinnati, I'm taking him. Uh, or you know if you have to trade, I mean it would have to take it would have to take a serious offer. Um, you know multiple. You know give me two first round picks, give me some allocation money, and then I'm thinking about it because I do think there is enough talent in this first round that you can do some things um, with a you know with a pair of first round picks. So I don't know what the what offers are going in right now, and I know there are already offers. Uh, being thrown around. I know, I know there, you know, I've talked to a few coaches and a few general managers who have picks near the top of the draft and, and it's already happening. It's already, you know, the and it, this is how it is every year. People feel each other out. They throw out flyers, you know, uh, what would it take for this? What would you give us for that? So that's going on. And and as much as in the olden days, as, as recently as two years ago, all of that stuff would be going on at the, at the hotel bar, which is uh, one of the kind of you know, sad things, you know, obviously there's so many sad things about the pandemic, but one of the kind of sad, uh, you know, sad things about the MLS draft now is that there is not that, that atmosphere that you had because usually the MLS draft was held uh, at the uh, U.S., uh, the coaches convention, the U- the U.S. soccer, uh, American soccer coaches convention. And, you know, all the teams would converge. You'd have all the coaches, general managers, agents, uh, college coaches, so you just have this just sea of humanity of American soccer all gathering, and it would just it just be a great atmosphere, right? Because you can you could talk to you know if if there was a player, you know you could talk to his agent, you could talk to his coach, his college coach, you could talk to the team probably going to take him, you know. I, I mean, so that that for me was invaluable for so many years um, to do it. Now instead of all of that being in one place, now you're working the phones. Now now you know I got two phones. I'm Kevin Gates over here. Now obviously things are a little different now. We, you know, everyone's at home. We're all, uh, we're all doing the phone calls. We're doing the Zoom calls, uh, just trying to connect. And uh, it's been, it's been an interesting exercise, just trying to track people down. And what the one thing I have to say about this draft, and what needs to be made clear about the 2021 MLS draft, is that it is it is the most challenging draft in the history of of MLS because there was no real college season. 
in 2020. Only the ACC played. So you, thankfully, the one conference that played happens to be the best conference with the most talented players. But still, it was one conference that played in 2020. Um, you had no Pac-10. You had no Big Ten. You had no none of the smaller conferences that also produced their share of talent. And, and because of that, you have teams really scrambling to try to identify talent and try to figure out who they like. And, and you know, you, you're pretty much basing a lot of it on year and a half old games or year old games uh, or a combine. There was a combine. Uh, Sporting Kansas City hosted a combine in November, which which basically kind of served as the unofficial MLS combine. It was the only combine. MLS did not do a combine this year. They did a combine before the 2020 draft, um, but they did not do a formal uh, MLS combine of any kind. But thankfully, Sporting KC stepped up and they did. They held a draft uh, combine, and and that's kind of become the benchmark that some teams are using. Actually, a lot of teams are using uh, to evaluate some of the players, some of the talent that's in this draft. Um, and you have some players who actually did well in that combine, who really boosted their stock after not necessarily even you know being considered top level prospects before that. Um, but again, it's such a challenge when when again you're trying to base your you know if you're a team right. And not only were there no college seasons for so many conferences other than the ACC, there was also no PDL, the Premier Development League, which is the the summer uh, amateur or semi-pro leagues that run in the summer and that college players play in. And teams do use that. Uh, MLS teams, um, pro teams in general in the U.S. use PDL to scout players because it, it's a bit, you know, some people would argue it's even it's an even better environment because it's kind of semi-pro, pro, um, and and you you know you, you could some would argue the level is even higher than than in in a lot of the conferences and a lot of the games that you see in the college level. So, um, as a if you're a prospect. And you did well in the college season, you could build on that and do well in the PDL season and then really boost your stock. Or you, if you're a small school player, you know, you don't play in the ACC, you don't you don't play in the Big Ten, Pac-12, Pac um, you could go play in the PDL and play alongside some of these guys that are in those big conferences and actually stand out and establish yourself and, and people can see, hey, look, he is as good as these guys from the big conferences. He is as good as these guys from the power schools that everyone uh, knows talent comes from. But you didn't have that this year, so obviously, right off the bat, that's huge. That's a huge blow for for the smaller school prospects who would rely on that. So it's really it's it's a challenge. It's a really challenging thing. And and look, when it comes down to it, MLS teams aren't pouring resources into college scouting. They're just not right. Um, it's it's becoming less and less of a priority because of that. Because the talent level is not as high as it used to be, the American talent level is not as high as it used to be. College soccer has a lot more foreign players now than it used to because again, now that more and more of the top American talent is going the academy route, uh, going the the professional route at younger ages, and going the European route, a lot of that elite talent that used to go to college, that used to go play one year, two year. Uh, you know, someone like a Reggie Cannon, he goes for one year to UCLA. Jack Harrison goes one year Wake Forest. A lot more of that talent is finding its way into into the professional pipeline and bypassing college. So if you, a lot of these teams, a lot of the MLS teams are saying, you know what? The, the, it's not the risk. The juice is not worth the same squeeze. And, and so for that reason, you don't have 
as thorough a scouting uh, setup and a, as thorough a scouting process for a lot of teams. Now, there are teams that still see the value. There are teams that now realize that there are bargains to be had because the fewer people who take it seriously, the fewer people who are really beating the bushes of the college talent pool, the more of a chance you have to find some gems. And, I mean, look at last year's draft. If you look at last year's draft, uh, there weren't 100 players who who, who came out and, and did great, but Daryl DK crushed it. Uh, Henry Kessler crushed it. And obviously these, are, these were high first-round picks, but then... Alistair Johnson, the the Nashville fullback uh, from Wake Forest, he was at, I believe he was the number eleven pick, and he you know he developed into a starter and really did well for himself. Uh, Joey Dessert uh, from Orlando City, who was a second round pick and actually you know was able to contribute for Orlando City. So there's still players to be had. And two years ago, there was a ton of players that came through, and 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 now two years later, a lot of them are playing key roles in the league. So there's still talent there. And there's talent in this draft. So, uh, you know, I, I've kind of digressed now um, going back to the top of the first round. We mentioned Mayaka and Calvin Harris. Cincinnati should take Cincinnati should take Calvin Harris with the number two pick. And then you get where things really get interesting. The number three pick and uh, Houston Dynamo, right? Houston Dynamo have had a bit of bit busy offseason, right? They, they, they went and got Joe Corona. Uh, snatched him away from uh, the the Austin FC after Austin selected him in the expansion draft, but did not sign him. And MLS being MLS, somehow Joe Corona was allowed to be in the in the uh, reentry draft, and the Dynamo pounced. The Dynamo pounced, and and they ended up taking him. They ended up taking uh, you know. Now obviously he's a talented player. You're happy to take him, but there's also a little added incentive to kind of burn your new rival in Texas, your new Texas rival. So hats off to the Dynamo for, for snatching up Joe Corona. So they get Joe Corona. They went and uh, signed Maxi Aruti. And now just two days ago, they trade for Tim Parker. That's a huge one because the Dynamo absolutely needed an upgrade. They needed an upgraded center back in the worst way. And now they have that. And what that does for them, not only not only does it help their defense, but it really puts them in a great position in this draft at the number three pick because they don't need to go reach for a center back. They don't need to because if they don't trade for Tim Parker, you know, they're probably looking at we have to take the best center back because, you know, we just need upgrades. We just need center backs. Now they can sit back. Listen to offers, and if you're Houston, you trade that pick. If I'm Houston, I'm trading that pick. I think they are going to trade that pick. The question is, what's the price? What are they going to be able to get? And for me, I think the ideal price would be, you know, someone, if they can trade down and get a good chunk of allocation money, I think that's kind of the best case scenario for them, right? If they can trade down to 8, 9, 10, 11 and trade with a team that really wants to get in that top three, um, where they can get a Daniel Pereira, the Virginia Tech midfielder, or one of these top-level center backs. Uh, and the top center backs in this draft, Ethan Bartlow from the University of Washington, uh, Justin Bauer from New Hampshire, and uh, Nabi Kibanguchi from uh, UC Davis, who's a converted midfielder, but he is absolutely a center back just physically. He is, you know, he has all the tools to be an elite-level center back. And, and a lot of teams really are raving about him. So he's a guy who, I tell you what, if the, you know, the Dynamo, I think, ha, have uh, realistically looked at Nabi Kimaguchi with the number three overall pick. But I think they see the possibilities and they see um, a chance to trade down, get some allocation money, and still get yourselves a center back prospect that you like. And I think that's what the Dynamo are going to do. 
Um, and I think that's how that first those first three picks are going to go. And if you ask me who teams are trading up for, who teams are going to trade with Houston to get at number three, I mean, I think Daniel Pereira is one, and I like him a lot. He's a, uh, he's a central midfielder, uh, Venezuelan background from Virginia Tech, and he's, he's young. And he's really uh, he's he's highly skilled, and and one thing he showed from his freshman year to his sophomore year was a real improvement physically. A real you know you, you could tell that he he lost some of that baby fat, that some of that freshman weight, or or you know you just saw a different player, and and the work rate that he showed to go with the skill definitely turned uh, impressed some teams and and really put him in position for this generation Adidas contract and to be a top pick. So I think he's someone that people will target. And I think the center backs, those three, there's a three elite center backs there in in uh, Bartlow, Kimaguchi, and Bauer. And are these guys, you know, the, we're not saying these guys are, you know, Sergio Ramos, but all three of them could absolutely be good pros that have, you know, uh, pretty long MLS careers. They all have that ability. Um, in terms of the safe, out of those three, who's the safest bet? Uh, I would argue Bartlow's the safest bet. If you're asking me who has the most upside, I would say Kim Gucci absolutely has the most upside. Whereas if he puts it all together, are we talking about someone, you know, who, you know, could, could be transferred in a few years and, and actually generate a transfer fee? I think he's the most likely out of that group. And Bauer, I think Bauer is going to be a solid pro. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see where he winds up system-wise. And, and, and Atlanta United, my understanding, has, has, has followed him for a long time. They like him. You could see Bauer go to number five uh, to Atlanta. So... Um, that that's kind of where we're at with the top half of the draft, right? Those are the top three. DC United at four. I, I think they'll go Ed Kiza from Pittsburgh, the striker from Pittsburgh. Although you know they could they could absolutely go in a number of you know, what don't they, you know they they have quite a few needs. DC United, we know they they have a lot of needs. So, but I think Ed Kiza is number four. I think Bauer at number five. That's kind of the the scenario I see playing out, right? And and then at that point. Ethan Bartlow could be slipping a little bit. I think he I don't think he'll go further down than six to, to Colorado. So that's how that early part of the first round shakes out. I'm not gonna do the entire first round because we'll be here all day. It'll be a five hour podcast. No one wants that. Um, but I am at this point gonna try to break down for you the positions. I think that's kind of the best way for 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 those of you who are kind of curious about what there is in this draft, what's available, what what, what who can help my team. And we're going to start with the goalkeeper position. And one thing I need to make clear for anybody who is hoping for their team to draft a goalkeeper. Uh, I don't, right off the bat, no one's drafting goalkeepers to find a starter. Not, not this year. And it hasn't, that hasn't been the case for a long time. So you just, you don't have to worry about that. But even in terms of backups, um, in terms of players who could be first round uh, picks, this this is a weak year for, for goalkeepers by all accounts, um, from everyone I've spoken to. Uh, people who kind of follow the position closely, it, it's a it's a bit of a down year, and um, you know there are four or five prospects uh, who who absolutely should be drafted. But if we have more than one goalkeeper in the first round, I would be a bit surprised. Uh, maybe we get two, but more than likely we'll we'll see one. And uh, the the one most likely to be that goalkeeper that goes in the first round is Virginia's Colin Shuttler, and uh, he's he's not the prototypical huge six foot four goalkeeper, but uh, he's six one, and he's you know he's very athletic, quick uh, shot stopper. But he's very good in terms of distribution, and uh, obviously he has a he showed he had a great career at Virginia. 
and and he has all the tools to to be a good pro and despite the you know not not having that kind of prototypical size but from that standpoint he is the i would say by most consensus the top prospect in terms of prototypical size uh someone like Andrew Pennenberg at Wake Forest he's a uh, another prospect that could absolutely go late first round early second uh he more than likely will be a second round pick uh and then you have AJ Marcucci uh, from Connecticut College, and you know, obviously a small school player, and he's someone who uh, I think is more than likely going to be a second round pick. Some teams do, you know, do rate him, and um, some teams do rate him. So he, you know, he he has a good chance of of going. I want to say in the top, you know, top thirty, top thirty five picks. Um, although on my big board, my last big board, he's going to be, you know, forty forty ish range. Um, in terms of the, the the big board rankings for SBI, which I haven't put out yet, I haven't put the final ones out. I put out a mock draft. I did that first, and just to give you a little a little kind of background. So obviously on Tuesday the plan was to try to knock out the big board, the mock draft, and the podcast. Right. So obviously that was the you know the plan. But one thing I learned quickly is that I am old. I'm not I'm not young young anymore. So I, I was ready to pull the all nighter, which you know traditionally me you know my routine for draft draft time is pulling all nighters and cranking everything out in one day that didn't work out for me. So, uh, I was getting most of that done today. I was able to get a lot more interviews and a lot more, do a lot more research and talk to a lot more people in the mix to get, to help kind of tweak my rankings. And I didn't get the big board done yet, but I did get the two round mock draft out to look out for that. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about that in terms of if you, if you need to look at a mock draft, if you need to look at a big board on Thursday morning, when you're getting ready for this draft, you need to look at SBIs. And I know I, I, I'm, I'm talking trash right now. I'm talking a little trash. We we do have the best. We have the best big board. We have the best mock draft. That's not, you know, does that mean I'm getting a job as a GM? No, but I, I think we I think ours is, is pretty solid. So if you, if you need a reference, something to kind of follow the draft with, I would suggest checking that out uh, on Thursday morning. Um, and obviously if you're listening to this, then you are listening to this episode and, and this will give you a good breakdown. So, um, back to the positions now, defensively, uh, we'll start at left back. Now left back is actually, th- there's some interesting prospects in this draft, um, in terms of the position, uh, there, there's no, well, the trend obviously, and we've seen it left back and right back is to convert wingers into fullbacks and then have these kind of dynamic attacking fullbacks. We saw that obviously with Alfonso Davies and, you know, at Bayern going to Bayern turns into this amazing left back. More recently you've seen, uh, obviously Tejon Buchanan in, uh, as far as with the new England revolution, who obviously he came into the league as a winger and, and now he's a, he's a right back and he looked pretty, pretty good as a right back. So, uh, that's kind of the direction people are going in. They're going into converting wingers into fullbacks. And at left back in this class, there are quite a few um, such prospects. And one of the top ones is Josh Drack from the University of Denver. Uh, he was a winger in college, but he was at the combine, the Sporting Kansas City combine, and showed really well there as a potential left back option. And teams project him as a left back. And he's probably the best left back prospect in the group, although he's not a pure left back. Um, so from that standpoint, he should be one of the first ones off the board. Uh, but there's there's some other good ones. Uh, Matt DeRosa from Maryland, uh, again, another converted left back, although he played left back in college. So he got to play some reps there, and then people have seen him there. 
Uh, and then you have some some players who have more experience as a fullback. Uh, Aiden Stanley, the former Duke slash U.S. under 17, under 20 uh, fullback. He he's someone who has a bit more of a track record as a fullback. Um, there's some questions in terms of how you know what's his ceiling. Is he as he stopped improving? Is he is he is he going to be able to make that transition to the pro level? That's why he's not necessarily the top left back prospect out of this group. And then you have a player who I I, I really rate highly. Uh, his name's Av- Avion Flanagan from South Florida. He's a he's a very dynamic uh, fullback. Someone with experience as a fullback, and someone who. Several MLS teams have had a chance to see up close. Uh, he's actually trained with multiple MLS teams. He trained with Atlanta United, Sporting Kansas City, to name two. And he's someone who I, I think is, is his stock is rising. I think he's pushing himself into the first round. Um, and he has that um, unique um, resume where he is actually, he has that experience as a left back, but he has those attacking qualities. So it's not a case of a winger who doesn't really quite know how to defend. He can defend. So He's someone who I, you know, if you're looking for left backs, I think he, for me, is probably my favorite left back uh, prospect out of this group just because I I, I think he, you know, he's going to have the, you know, he doesn't have to make that transition. Where Josh Drack is someone who, if he figures it out, yes, he could be the best of the bunch, but he still has to kind of adapt to the position, learn the position. So um, those are some of the other ones. And if you want to go deep, deep, deep at left back, there are actually some pretty good prospects who could be second and third round options. And one of them is Pierre Cayette from Temple, who is left back slash left center back. Again, left footed. uh, There's always a premium on left footed center back. So, you know, could he be a left? Could he be a center back? Or could it be a left back? Um, I'm hearing great things about him. I, I got a chance to watch some of his footage, and he looks pretty good. And uh, I, hopefully my house is not on fire. You hear the fire truck in the background. I am not in a soundproof booth, unfortunately, and I wasn't scheduling the fire trucks in the background. But um, And another player is Joe Hafferty, the left back from Oregon State. He's someone to keep an eye on. I think he's someone who could be a really good um, option in terms of teams in the later, you know, late second, getting into the third round. And another player that I, that really impressed me and that who I, I think could be a steal as kind of a late round uh, pickup or later in the draft pickup. And of course, he's from New Jersey, so uh, you know I'm a little biased here. Uh, Tom Judge, the left back from James Madison, I had a chance to, to to check out some of his footage, and he's impressive. He's an impressive one for sure. Uh, I think he's one to watch um, just in terms of having speed, having good size, and, and you know he's shown he can play that position. And then there's a, a unique one, Umar Farouk Osman, who is uh, from the University of Michigan now. He came into – he started his college career coming out of high school as Gatorade National Player of the Year, super skilled uh midfielder attacking player he's obviously been kind of moved around uh as a fullback as well so you know can you try to convert him into a fullback so he's one to watch i think you know those teams that like to play that possession style like to pass it around and and they might see being able to convert him as a fullback left back potentially so those are some of the names uh, i could go on it's a deep pool i'm telling you you'd be surprised Uh, that's not always the case at left back especially um but there are some good left back options it's actually a pretty decent year for the position and now at right back, it's a, it's not quite as deep a field, but there are some good prospects at right back. Uh, is there anyone who I think could step in and start in year one? That's a little bit of a trickier one, but there, there's some there's some interesting players in here. And I, I'd argue the, the top right back prospect for me on our rankings is Logan Pancho from Stanford. Uh, another, again, he I believe he was a midfielder earlier in his career. When he came into Stanford, he was pretty highly, pretty highly regarded 
uh, player when he started his college career. He, he eventually uh, turned into a right back, and, and he's a very skilled, good passer. He has that technical quality uh, from having been a midfielder earlier in his career. And is he is he the most athletic uh, player in the in at the position? Uh, probably not, but he has that technical quality that if you're a team that that plays possession and you like to pass the ball, you like to have a passing fullback, someone who can pass well and combine, he's a guy you want. Uh, and I started with Pancho, but actually uh, in terms of the highest rated uh, right back prospect on the list, uh, that would have to be Brett Halsey, uh, the University of Virginia Midfielder slash fullback. Now he was one of the final generation Adidas signings, and he, you know, he played in central midfield. He, he's a versatile player. He can play a variety of positions. But in terms of pro prospects, in terms of pro where he where he fits positionally in terms of the next level, right back is kind of where he's being projected, and where kind of teams see him. And obviously, he was. You could argue he was probably the fifth. The fifth and final generation Adidas uh, signing, uh, him and Ethan Bartlow, uh, the two American uh, generation Adidas signings. And I, I think Halsey's someone who's going to probably go in the top half of the first round. And, you know, obviously he's not kind of a traditional right back in terms of that he's played it his whole life. He's not, you know, he's going to have to learn how to defend. Um, but he's he's just, he's the type of soccer player that you like. He has a great mentality. He obviously has that kind of work rate and tenacity. And I know these are all kind of buzzwords, but if you've watched Virginia play, if you watched Virginia play this past season, uh, you you will have seen a player who clearly took a step up in 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 his in his quality. He took a step up. Obviously, Virginia, uh, ha- you know, losing some players to the pros off of their NCAA finalist team of twenty nineteen. Once twenty twenty came around, you know, he took on a bigger role and he really blossomed uh, in that Virginia lineup. And now we'll see if he can make that jump to right back. Uh, there are definitely some teams who believe he can do that, and that's why he's probably going to go in the first half of the first round. And I'd argue Halsey and Pancho are probably your top two, top two uh, in terms of right backs. But there are some other ones as well uh, that could get into the first round, but for me are a little bit more likely to be second rounders. Javane Brown, um, a Jamaican uh, defender from South Florida, Played as a center back, so, you know, the question is, is he more of a center back or is he a right back? If he's center back, then he's undersized because I believe he's like 5'11", 6 feet. So, you know, he's not he's not the size you want of a center back. But as a right back, he's an interesting one because he's, he, has, he has some quickness. He has the strength. Uh, he has the physical tools to be, you know, either a right back or even maybe a right center back in a three back uh, is, you know, now you, there's some more teams in MLS now playing three back. So in theory, he could play kind of as that right center back in a three. Um, so he's an intriguing one. And uh, just kind of looking through our list here for, for the, the big board that isn't completed yet. Uh, ben DeRosa, the brother of the, the twin, the twin brother of uh, Matt DeRosa, who is a first round left back option. Um, I believe I mentioned Matt DeRosa in the left back segment, uh, but Ben DeRosa is one to to keep an eye on. He could he could go in the second round, to, second to third round, I believe. And then Eric Olaski, if you want to talk about kind of sleeper picks, Eric Olaski is in, the name rings a bell. Yes, he's the brother of Brian Olaski, and uh, I believe Mylan or Milan Mylan Olaski, so the Olaski brothers who all played at UCLA. Now, Olaski, Eric Olaski played left back for UCLA, but he is right footed and uh, he projects to play as a right back. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see who who kind of takes a fire on him because he definitely has the physical uh, the physical attributes to to handle playing fullback on the next level. 
And, you know, as much as he played kind of inverted, played as that left back, um, you know, just watching him, and I had a chance to, to watch some some UCLA uh, match footage, and you know he looks like the real deal. Like he's someone who you could bring into a camp, or even put on your USL team, let him develop a bit more. Um, but physically, he can handle it. He won't. That won't be an issue in terms of combining, in terms of defending one on one. You know, obviously, he needs to work on that. But he's one to watch as well as a potential later round pick. Uh, Georgetown's Sean O'Hearn and uh, North Carolina's Mark Salas. Those are some later round potential right backs, but then you're, you're kind of getting into, into kind of like the later rounds of the draft. Uh, one player who actually pulled out of the draft, who I was a little disappointed to see pull out of the draft was ja- Jasper Laufelsund, uh, the Pittsburgh right back, a German fullback who for me was, was that probably a first late first round value, probably someone who I could definitely see going in the first round, late in the first round. Uh, he was one of a few players who took their names out of the draft. Uh, my understanding is going, he's going to graduate school. He's going to focus on the spring season with Pittsburgh and then put his name back in for the 2022 draft. He's one to watch. I think he would have been, could have been a first round pick this year, but he came out. So, uh, we'll see what happens there. But right back is not surprisingly enough, unlike most years, left back is arguably deeper than right back. And now we are talking center backs, and the center back position has a, a good amount of talent. And you could argue it actually is the deepest position in this draft. And you know, teams obviously are looking for for center back depth. And I wouldn't say people are looking for starters, but they're looking for players that they can develop and, and that they can you know give a, give some time to. And you know, is there are there Henry Kesslers in this group? There's a couple. There's a couple who could step in and potentially start and actually be be good pros in year one. Um, there's also some some longer term prospects. So we'll, we'll go through the position. Uh, first things first. Um, you have the Generation Adidas uh, center back from Washington, Ethan Bartlow, and it's interesting because he he can pass the ball. He's tough. He can defend, but he doesn't have the the prototypical size of a center back. Uh, you know, I I've heard him called six one. I've heard him called five eleven. I don't. He doesn't look five eleven to me. He looks he looks six one or at least six feet. But what I what I did see in just his footage is someone who can defend, who's tough and you know who gets in on the tackle. But uh, above all, he can pass and and has confidence on the ball. He can he can carry it forward. And in the modern game, you like having center backs that can carry the ball and that they can can hit that nice pass. And he has that. He gives you that. And you know I think even though he's an underclassman, he's a junior. He. He's someone who could play in year one, and um, does he have the upside of, of some other players in this in this draft? That's a little bit of a question mark. I, I'm I'm not so sure about that. I think there are some other uh, defenders with more upside, and and Nabi Kibanguchi from UC Davis is is that type of player. Now he played quite a bit in midfield uh, at UC Davis, but he's projecting as a center back. Uh, he's someone who scouts really love in terms of just. The, the potential and the athleticism and the size. Um, and obviously his, his, you know, having played in midfield, he has that that comfort on the ball. So when you take the athleticism with the, the comfort on the ball and the ability to pass, that combination is what has scouts really uh, kind of going crazy about uh, Kim Gucci and, and he's someone who should be in the top 10. Uh, and then you have Josh Bauer uh, from the uh, University of New Hampshire. He's someone who kind of, you know, Came on the scene last year, and obviously small school player, New Hampshire, but I believe he played in PDL in 2019 and really kind of turned heads there. 
and that's where he kind of made his name, and people started talking about him as as a pro prospect. He has good size, you know, I believe six two. He's good in the air, physical player, and quite a few teams like him. Quite a few teams liked him a year ago. Um, and actually, if he had gone in the draft last year, uh, I think it's a safe bet he would have been a first round pick. And you know, for whatever reason, he didn't get a generation D to steal. He went back to school. Obviously, he didn't play. <clears throat> they didn't have a New Hampshire didn't have a season. But obviously the the scouts still rave about him and and see him as a as a good option. Uh, and again, another top ten pick. Atlanta United is believed to 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 really rate him highly. Although that that that's been that's made the rounds for so long, you kind of wonder if that's a little subterfuge. Is that is that Atlanta kind of posturing? Do they have an eye on someone else potentially? You know, like a Bartlow generation Adidas player wouldn't hurt the uh, Atlanta salary uh, budget situation. Um, but based on what we've heard long term, I think it's a safe bet you're going to see uh, Josh Bauer go to Atlanta at number five. And again, we know that there are all kinds of trades that could happen, so it's hard to say who's going to be where at that spot. But uh, I think it's a safe bet that Bauer is going to go in the top half of the first round, probably in the top ten. And, and then a player whose whose stock is really, really, really kind of moving up big time is uh, Michael DeShields, the center back from Wake Forest. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, you know, uh, Wake Forest head coach Bobby Muse, uh, our guest on this episode, obviously rave, uh, raves about him. You know, it's his player, but he, you know, before everything, uh, he was telling me about what a great player DeShields was. And as uh, as people might know, he signed a contract with New England's USL team, which was a little surprising, right? That, that you know, he would do that, but that's not going to get in the way of him being drafted. Um, and if anything, New England is not going to have the chance to draft him when they pick because he's going to be gone before then. So if Bruce Arena is a big fan, if New England, if they really, really like him, they're going to have to trade up to get him. And as I've, I think I mentioned before, there are going to be some trades. There are some teams ready to deal. There's some teams ready to give up their top 10 position to move down or move out of that, of that position, move out of that area in the draft. So if you have your eye on someone, and there are definitely some people who like the Shields, I think the Shields is a player that that people could trade up to go after, and um, he's going to be, I think, middle of the first round. I projected him uh, a bit later in the mock draft. Now I did my mock draft earlier on Wednesday, and between when I published that mock draft and now that I'm recording this episode, I've I've got <laughs> I've spoken to so many people, I've gotten so much feedback, I've gotten so much insight that now if I do it if I did a mock draft now, it would look different, and that's how, that's how it goes, you know you. Uh, opinions can change, and as you get new information, and as you get a look at new people, you know they're, they're, there's players that I've heard about but hadn't had a chance to look at. And everyone knows that you know, uh, you know I'm trying to dig into this, so I'm, get, I'm getting uh, you know highlight reels, I'm getting bit, uh, footage of games, and it, it's a, you want to you know you only have so many hours in a day, you can't look at you know all 170 players, but uh, I, I would argue that uh, Michael DeShields is, is a player who's probably his stock is probably uh, flying higher than anybody in the first round right now. I think him and Mitch Guitar from uh, Wisconsin. I think those are two guys whose whose stock is really growing in the in the last week. Um, let's see, center back, other center backs. Aime Mabika, the Kentucky six foot six central defender. Uh, he's someone who yeah, the jury the jury's out on there. there. There's people who just don't see it there's just some people who think he's too raw he's a project and he's not someone who's going to play anytime soon you know is he strong enough is he laterally quick is he quick enough laterally obviously once you start when you start talking about six foot six 
you know, how does he move? And I think that's, you know, there's a question there. But, you know, having had a chance to see him, I'd say he's a very good passer for his size. He's good in the air, uh, as you would expect. Um, can he work on his lateral movement? Absolutely. But um, I, I can understand why scout, some, some scouts are, are really high on his potential and the opportunity to kind of develop him. So that that's good. he's going to be one to watch if, if your team is looking for center backs. But he, I think he is a bit more of a long-term project. Uh, some others to keep an eye on Brandon Hackenberg, left-footed center back from Penn state athlete brothers in the NFL, uh, Christian Hackenberg, the quarterback, Taylor Maples from SMU, a bit on the smaller side center back, but very good passer, strong on the ball. He played as a defensive midfielder at SMU, but he projects as a center back. If you're a team that, that likes to have a ball playing central defender and aren't hung up on, on them having to be 6364, Taylor Maples might be your guy. I know the Texas teams know him very well. I think he's trained with all three Texas teams. Well, not that Austin has a team yet, but he's trained with Dallas, he's trained with Houston. Austin does know him. So uh, I think Maples, uh, just because of the number of teams that know him and the number of teams that like his game, I think he is going to be a first-rounder. Um, and then Jackson Malou, uh, the Clemson center back slash right back. Uh, obviously, we had Mike Noonan on, and Mike Noonan uh, had some good things to say about Malou. He's someone to, to keep an eye on. Um, is he going to get in the first round? It, I think he's one of the, those players who kind of, you know, from the international status is going to – uh, see his 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 position lower than it would be if he were American. So you know he he's on the fringe there of the late first round, and um, as Mike Noonan pointed out, the versus the versatility that Malou gives you, being able to be a right back or a center back, is what's going to make him an attractive option for teams later in the first round. <clears throat> Uh, and now if we get into into some of the kind of the sleepers in this center back pool, so as deep as it is. Um, uh, I'd say Lamine, Con- L- L- I don't know how I'm, I'm butchering the name, I'm sure. Lamine Conte from Louisville, uh, a center back. Uh, I, some teams I've spoken to that like him, and you know, I, I don't know if he's going to get into the first round, but I definitely think there, there's some teams that are looking at him early second. Uh, Rio Hope Gund from Georgetown. He's, I, I feel like he's a bit of a right around the second round range. And CC Uchi, uh, an interesting player from Ohio State who suffered an injury and missed most of 2019. And obviously Penn State didn't play in 2020. So we're talking about a player who has not really been seen since 2018. And what I did get to see of his game and, and watching, uh, you know, games of him from that year, from 2018, I saw a very interesting player um, just in terms of not only the athleticism uh, that he has, uh, and he's definitely, you know, he, he his passing is there. He can pass, but I like his ability to read the game uh, and, and kind of see see the danger before it becomes danger. Like he can read the he reads the play, he reads the game well. And as a central defender, you like you you want a center de- central defender who who can kind of see things develop and not have to just react because you know when you have to react, you're usually behind and playing catch up. You don't want to be in that position. So I think CC Uchi is someone to keep an eye on for sure. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, you have these big center backs, right? I, I'm in 6'6". Six, six. Jackson Reagan, uh, or Jackson Ragin from Michigan. Again, six foot five, six foot six center back. Uh, now, I hadn't seen the footage on him, but I had, you know, spoken to some people that, that know the Big Ten pretty well. And there are definitely some questions about the lateral quickness. But, you know, having having had a chance finally today to see some of the footage on him, I'd say, uh, you know, Ragin moves pretty well. And... Um, 
I think he's pretty athletic for that height. And I think he's going to, you know, I don't see him necessarily as a first-round pick, but I think he's someone that, that teams uh, in the second round looking at center back, uh, they'd be pretty happy there. Then you have Freddie Kleeman, the Washington center back. Obviously, everyone's looking at Ethan Bartlow, but his partner, uh, Freddie Kleeman, six foot four, more prototypical size. He's pretty decent. Um, and the last center, the last center back I will mention, and I could keep going on because there's probably like ten more here on my big board. Uh, one center back I did want to mention who is on my list. If I do my list of sleepers, my list of guys I like who maybe are not high on people's boards, keep an eye out for. Iwan Webster, uh, an English central defender from Division II Maryville University. Could be Maryville College. I don't know. It's Maryville. Um, now, I had a chance to look at him, and he's a left-footed center back, six foot four. passes very well. Passes very well out of the back. He, he's, good, he's good technically. And when you talk about good technically, six foot four, and he can, he can move, and he's left-footed. I mean, that really takes all the boxes. So I, I'm curious to see who's done their homework um, because for me, you know, obviously being international hurts him. If he was American, he'd be absolutely a first-round pick for me, for my money. Um, but even with the foreign status, I think someone's going to take a chance on him, uh, you know, pretty early. You know, I, he's got for me, he's got to go in the top 40, I would imagine. Um, but if the right team kind of sees him and sees the potential and sees the left-footed six-foot-four good passer, I think he'll go, you know, he, he could definitely go top 30. And now we move into the attack. Um, uh, actually, before we get into the attack, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little about defensive midfield. And, you know, it, as you'll hear later on in my interviews uh, with our two guests, you know, I do point out the fact that there are not a lot of defensive midfield, pure, true defensive midfielders in this draft pool. And, you know, obviously that's not a... You know, teams usually go hit the international market or, you know, there's a you know fair amount of good homegrown prospects that are coming through that are defensive midfield types. But the college game hasn't traditionally consistently produced many impact defensive midfielders. Um, it's just not it just hasn't been a position, which is part of the reason why I think Philip Mayaka is such a intriguing prospect and is such an exciting prospect for teams that are, are just not used to that kind of player being available and that's why that's why Mayaka is so far ahead of anyone else in that in that profile um so if you want a defensive midfielder you get Philip Mayaka unfortunately I don't think he's going past the top two in this draft he's going to go number one so what if you cannot get Philip Mayaka then what do you do uh, I would say uh, one player that that kind of you know probably not first rounder, but someone who who I you know I thought looked pretty good in just watching him is uh, Kareem Riley from Florida Gulf Coast, uh, Trinidadian defensive midfielder, and and he's a you know he's a physical uh, defensive midfielder, but he can pass and he likes to pass and you know try to break lines with his passing. So I think he's someone to keep remember that name Kareem Riley. I think he's going to be a good value as a second rounder. Uh, and then other than that, man, I, I, I would say defensive midfield is pretty barren in terms of true defensive midfielders because you have a lot of guys who, who played some defensive midfielder but are projecting as center backs like Taylor Maples, like uh, I mean, even Laminate Conte, um, I think I feel like played some defensive midfielder, but there's just not a lot of defensive midfield options uh, in this draft. So <clears throat> if you're hoping your team finds one, they're not going to find one. And at the end of the day, with the number of center backs that are in this draft, the number of fullbacks that are in this draft, I think that's what teams are going to look at um, since not everybody's going to have the the luxury of being able to take a Mayaka. 
Now, in terms of box-to-box midfielders, there are actually some good options and there's some good prospects. Now, we know teams are hitting the international market and spending real money for the central midfielders, for attacking midfielders, for box-to-box midfielders. So it's not always easy for draft picks to get in there and and really contribute um, right away. And when I look at the midfield position, I'd have to say Daniel Pereira from Virginia Tech has really shown some good things. I mean, I think you'll get some comparisons to Frankie Amaya. Um, I think maybe he's a bit more dynamic in terms of the attack than uh, than Amaya, but Pereira is absolutely a, an intriguing prospect. I think he's a top five pick. I don't think he's a player who will necessarily slide. If anything, I think he's a player that the teams that are looking to trade up, he's a, he's a good candidate to be the target for some of these teams looking to trade into the top five. So. Keep an eye out for Pereira. I think in terms of midfielders, box-to-box midfielders, he's probably a good fit. Because he's not, you know, you, you can say, oh, he, is he a 10? He's not a 10 in MLS. In MLS, you're spending millions on a 10. In MLS, you know, you're getting Carlos Gil or, or Alejandro Pozuelo and, and those types. Um, so no one's, I don't think anyone's drafting Pereira to be, to kind of have the keys to the attack. And having said that, I thought he showed some really good um, two-way play in his sophomore season. I think he, you, you could see the fitness improve. You can see him just really kind of mature and, and get stronger. So he's someone that people should definitely uh, uh, look for for that top half, uh, that top five position. And another midfielder whose stock is really, really rising is uh, Mitch Guitar from the University of Wisconsin. Now, he's a player who, again, another player who missed the 2019 season and therefore has, has been out of, of college action for two years. And uh, he suffered, a, I believe it was a torn labrum uh, in 2019 that cost him that season. And obviously the Big Ten didn't play in 2020, so he was out of action. So why is his stock rising? Well, he's one of those players who really impressed at the Sporting Kansas City Combine. And um, he's someone who uh, really, with his work rate and his speed, his closing, like his ability to close uh, distance and really kind of press and break down, break plays break up plays in the middle, I think that's what has impressed people and why he now is looking like a potential first-rounder, even though no one's really seen him play in college since 2018. And uh, obviously, you know, Wisconsin, you know, they produce Chris Mueller. Um, their coach, John, John Trask, really uh, swears by guitar as someone who could absolutely make it as a pro, and, and John Trask doesn't want to to exaggerate things. So I would keep an eye out for guitar as a first-rounder. And, you know, for my money, it would be great if Nashville drafted Mitch Guitar, but that's probably asking for too much. Um, other central midfielders to look out for, Luis Perez, a uh, French midfielder from Central uh Central Florida. Now he's a player. I, t- I had a chance to watch him play, and, he, and I don't know if I saw many more polished and more just really confident players than Perez. Like he just looks like he would be ready to step in if you needed him to play first team minutes in MLS as a rookie. Um, now the issue, the problem with Perez is that you know he plays. You know he's a, obviously a bit more of a tack minded player, so you could argue yes, he's kind of a college number ten. But, you know, you're not going to have him play as a number 10 in MLS. And can he, will he do the dirty work as a number eight, as a box-to-box guy? Is he going to do that defensive work that you need? That's the question with Perez. Because skill-wise, there's no arguing the skill. There's no arguing the technical quality that he has. He's one of the most technical players, uh, technical midfielders in this draft. But, again, the international status hurts him. And the fact that he plays a position that's traditionally more for the higher paid players, those things work against him. So um, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a top 10 pick. 
maybe even not a top 20 pick, but whoever does get him, I think is going to be get, getting themselves a pretty good value. Now it's time to start talking winger position. And obviously there's some exciting wingers in this draft led by Calvin Harris, uh, the Wake Forest forward slash winger. You know, he's someone who can play wide. He can play up top as the second forward. Uh, he's not really a striker, but he's someone who, as uh, as Bobby Muse uh, really went on about, uh, just all the attacking qualities that he has. And as much as Philip Mayaka is the consensus number one player in this draft, I would definitely argue that if you want to ask who has the most most upside, most potential to to one day be a ten million dollar transfer, eight million dollar transfer, it's Calvin Harris because as young as he is and as as dynamic as he is an attacker, you take all that plus you have you have the fact that he's an English player. If he thrives, if he takes off in MLS. Their English teams are going to come calling and they're going to come offering some real money because he's a younger player. And, you know, Jack Harrison is a name that comes to mind. Obviously, Wake Forest, attacking player on the wing. They're not they're not the same player. I'm not saying that by any means. But, it, you know, when you look at the the Jack Harrison profile of someone who really lit it up in college, he got into the pros, got into the right setup, played well. And then a couple of years later, he's moving on a big money transfer. So that that's, you know, can, can Calvin Harris follow that path? Uh, it remains to be seen, but he's an exciting player. And the next player on the list of exciting wingers is Kimarni Smith from Clemson. And, you know, he can be a striker. He can be a second forward. He can be a winger. He can be a wide forward. He's got that versatility. Obviously, being an international uh, hurts him a little bit, but I, I still think he's a top 10, easily pro- possibly top five uh, selection, uh, definitely in terms of talent. If you're looking at a big board, He's probably, for me now, you know, I'm moving him up. I'm moving him up to, uh, as of right now, as I stare at my big board, I have him fourth, and that's the highest he's been. This is my third big board that at this point is going to drop at 10 p.m. tonight. Um, but he is, uh, you know, he's definitely an exciting player. Obviously, Mike Noonan had great things to say about him. Um, and then in terms of other wide types, Derek Dotson, the uh, the Georgetown forward, he definitely has the, the great size-speed combo and kind of reminds me a little of Teal Bunbury. At New England, so if you like that kind of player who can, who has that size but can just run down the wing and, and really a, really just terrorize uh, teams on the counter, he's that type of guy, and, and he I think he can give you quite a bit. Uh, another intriguing player is Josh Penn, the uh, former Indiana uh, winger, really exciting freshman. He was a really good freshman uh, for Indiana. He ended up going on to Indy Eleven. Didn't play at Indy Eleven, but um, he's someone who who scouts like and and. And it's an interesting situation with his contract because he was signed to Indy 11. However, it, my understanding is that he can kind of buy out his own contract if he's drafted, depending on where he's drafted, obviously, by what MLS team or where he's drafted in the draft. Um, it's not a case of uh, his contract getting in the way of him being drafted. Obviously, that's why he's in this draft. So um, some teams like him. Obviously, a lot of people remember him being an impressive freshman at Indiana, which, you know, if you do that, then you're going to be on people's radar. So Josh Penn is the first rounder to keep an eye on as a good good wing option. And then you have Justin McMaster. I got to talk about Justin McMaster because he is on my list of players that I see kind of being underval- undervalued, right? He's another example of a player who had an injury in 2019 he suffered a torn ACL in November of 2019, so he, he missed the end, uh, the business end of the 2019 season for Wake Forest. And then he came back in 2020, and he wasn't all the way back. He wasn't 100%. He had some physical issues. So we never got to see 
McMaster at his best. And those who actually remember McMaster pre-ACL injury will remember a player who was arguably Wake, one of Wake Forest's, if not if not Wake Forest's most dangerous attacking player. And that's a Wake Forest team that had a freshman Calvin Harris that had Machop uh, Chole. So McMaster, you know, if you watch 2018 footage, you see uh, a, a really impressive skill set because he has that he has that pace. He has that burst. He has the strength. He can pass the ball. He can finish. He really has it all. So the question is, physically, is he all the way back? Are there any more issues? I think maybe some people are wary because he, when he came back, he didn't look like himself. So then the question is, oh, is he ever going to be the same? So that's always a concern, right? But I tell you what, if he is back, if he's 100%, then you're talking about a guy who's an absolute steal as a, you know, lower end of the first round pick because pre-injury if he never gets injured first of all if he never gets injured chances are philadelphia union might sign him to a homegrown deal he was a a a union homegrown he was from their academy so i believe they would have had his rights they passed on keeping him because obviously they have they're overflowing with with prospects um to the point that they're trading some away but mcmaster's a guy i really like and i think i think whoever gets him is going to get a gem. And what's interesting is the way it's panning out. He's probably going to go later in the first round, which means more than likely he's going to a better team. So you put him on a team where he doesn't have to, you know, necessarily crush it right away, has a chance to kind of really get back to his top physical condition. And he's a player who could end up being, you know, a year or two from now, you're looking at McMaster as one of the real steals of this draft. And last but certainly not least, we have to talk about the striker position. And there's some there's some good strikers uh, to look at for sure. And and you really have to start with uh, Pittsburgh forward Ed Kiza, and he's a player who obviously in his through his career before his senior year he was one of the most productive, one of the most dangerous strikers in college soccer. And obviously he ended up not playing his senior year. He ended up leaving school and and there's some questions about what happened and why he left school and you know, is it gonna be an issue? Are teams gonna stay away from him because of that? That's that's the real question mark with him. But by all accounts that, you know, he's a he's he's someone who, you know, his coaches love him. At, they loved him at Pittsburgh, and he's someone who you know is is getting uh, all sorts of raves from people who who are who know him and who saw what he he gave Pittsburgh in in his career. So he's a first round for me. He's an automatic first round pick. He's a top ten talent. It, can he go as high as even number four? DC United has their eye on a few different players. They have you know I think Keys is one. I think Kimarni Smith is one. They want someone dynamic in attack. And I think those are the two guys right at the top of their list. Of course Calvin Harris would be the preferred guy for DC United, but he's not going to be there at number four. So Keys is one uh in terms of just pure striker. When you look at strikers, I mean I'm looking at my big board right now and, and there's just not many truly exciting striker options. Uh one player to keep in mind is Luther Archimede. Uh, from Syracuse, he's uh, I believe played for the Guadeloupe national team. I could be wrong. It's definitely one of the Concacaf Caribbean national teams, and he's a player who didn't really light it up at Syracuse, but he had a really good Sporting Kansas City combine. And you take that and you combine it with the fact that he has played international soccer. You know, he's played in the Concacaf Nations League, um, and with his physical profile, just in terms of the size that he has. Uh, his ability to his control uh, on the ball, I think some teams are are interested for sure. Is he a first rounder? I don't have him in the first round, but 
could you know, actually, you know what? I, I stand corrected. I think I might have him as a late first rounder uh, to Minnesota United, but he, I think that's kind of the range for him. Late first round around the second round for teams looking at a, at a striker project. He fits that, that bill. And again, there's not many like real striker strikers in this draft. So that's where, you know, if, if since it's such a kind of sparse uh, collection of strikers, that's where you're going to fall short. And as I'm looking at my big board, one player I do have to point out that I liked um, in terms of, you know, when uh, guys that I think could be steals from Drake, the forward Leroy Nzugusi, uh, a Kenyan speedster. Um, he's someone, obviously I've watched, uh, I've watched games. I've watched highlight reels of a lot of the guys in this player pool and Nzugusi with his, his pace, his pace really impressed me, really caught my eye. So obviously small school player, um, playing for Drake. So that that's going to be the question there. But I tell you what, any, anyone looking for kind of a speedy, skillful uh, winger, I mean, he's someone who you could find in the mid to late second round and and have yourself a gem. I think I think he's someone who could end up being a real surprise. And I think that's it. I think I think I've gone through the player pool, uh, you know, if you're still awake and you're still paying attention, it's time to bring in our two guests, uh, and, and i got to say we're pretty lucky. I'm pretty lucky to have these guys on to talk about the two best p- prospects in this draft, the two highest-rated prospects in this draft, Philip Mayaka and Calvin Harris. And we'll start off with the head coach of Clemson University. We have Philip Mayaka's head coach and a coach who's, who's definitely put through his share of players to the pros, and that's Clemson University head coach Mike Noonan. Mike, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Ives? Good to hear from you. I'm doing pretty well. Happy New Year and uh, coming off a great year for you last year with the uh, winning that ACC title. Yeah, it was exciting, and particularly uh, you know a lot of credit goes to the entire ACC and and all the players, uh, but in particular our players for doing such a good job during COVID and uh, you know relishing the championship and looking forward to see what happens this spring in the NCAA tournament. Right, right. Nice. Now, now, obviously, the MLS draft, uh, you're used to uh, having guys drafted. Uh, and I remember a few years ago that you, I think you, uh, you, one year you had five. Was it a couple? just a couple years ago that you had, I think you had five guys taken. Uh, and now the new trend for you, potentially, knock on wood, is uh, having the number one overall pick. It could happen. We don't want to jinx it. But potentially, we could see a second year in a row a Clemson player go number one. Yeah, I mean... Potentially, uh, you know, Mayaka could follow Robbie as the number one pick. But, you know, it, our feeling is, you know, quite frankly, he's the best player in the draft. Uh, whether he fits the needs of the teams that are picking number one, that's uh, that's going to be determined by people other than us. But, uh, you know, we're excited. And it obviously is a, is a great credit to our program and, and to Clemson and, and the university. Now, I've talked to quite a few uh, head coaches and sporting directors the last couple of days, and one question, I, one question I like to ask everybody is, if you're starting a team from scratch and you have the first pick in this draft, who do you take? And uh, I got to tell you, most of the people that I asked said Mayaka, and uh, it was definitely a you know a, a credit to just the, the the career that he had at Clemson and what he was able to show. For for people who haven't seen him play, what what, what would you say is the most impressive thing about his game? What, what and what do you think will help him help that success translate to the pro level? Well, he, he covers a ton of ground, right? And he hunts the ball defensively and recovers the ball similar to Nolo Kante, 
right? It's a very that that's the best analogy I can give soccer fans who are out there. Uh, once he gets the ball, he can be dynamic. He can score goals. Uh, that he can play a variety of different positions in the midfield. Um, and I think that he's just going to continue to grow and get better tactically as he uh, as he goes through his professional career. Now, one thing I kind of found interesting was some observers uh, seemed to, to see him have more freedom this this last season than his freshman year. Obviously, you know, there were, there were you know, oh, some older players and he was kind of maybe he deferred in some cases. He, he definitely had a more uh, more strict role. It seems like he had more freedom this second year. Did you see how did you see his game kind of kind of evolve from year one to year two? Well, I, it, to be honest with you, I think that he had more of an attacking presence in year one than he did in year two. Uh, a little bit by design, but a little bit by the way that, that, that we played. Uh, and, and like you said, it, that is deference to the players that we had on the team his first year. As a freshman, you come in and you're always, you know, having something to prove. And, and you try to restrict, not restrict, but uh, you try to limit uh their role a little bit because you want them to assimilate into the team. So we had a great leader in Tanner Dietrich running in midfield centrally, and we played Maya wide uh, in his first year, and that really freed him up in the attack, and you can see that in his numbers because he scored goals, he had assists. This year, not as much. We didn't play as many games, but he played more as a more traditional number six and organizer and protecting the the center backs and recovering the ball and, and, you know, building an attack more than finishing attack, but he's capable obviously in the two years of doing both things. Right now, it seems like in recent years and, and maybe it's been a while, um, but in develop the development of def- defensive midfielders in the college game, uh, even just looking at this year's draft, it's not like there are a ton of, of kind of true pure defensive midfielders or even people who project as, as defensive midfielders on the next level. Uh, Mayaka is one of them. Um, wh- why do you think that is? And, and, and do, you, do you see him having those kind of attributes to, to play that, that role, like that discipline to play that role pretty well? Yeah, I, I, you know, you, you talk, I think one of the things he's going to get better at is having the discipline to understand Spatially, where he needs to be as a, as a true number six, but you know we didn't we we played a little bit different. We played with three central midfielders, and they played flat uh, for the last two years. And Maya played centrally this year. This the asset that he has that's the best asset for a true defensive midfielder is that he hunts the ball right, and he's so confident. You know, the beauty of him is the dichotomy. You know, he he's such a humble. Uh, person, but he does have, when he gets on the field, he has a confidence that, one, he wants the ball, and two, if he does lose the ball, he's going to get it back. And he is probably the, the preeminent player that I've seen in the college game in my career that can actually, you know, recover the ball, I mean, like no other that I've, I've seen. Right. Uh, so, so from a defensive midfield standpoint, that's probably your top priority. Right. And then obviously some, you know, there's teams in the league who, who like to play kind of a pressing style. And, and he, it seems like he, he's well suited for any style, but you know, you put him in, in one of those kind of pressing uh, type setups that he, he could thrive in that. He, he sure can. And I, I think guys that the, uh, the irony is, is that we know throughout the world in athletics, the Kenyans are great long distance runners, right? 
the numbers that Maya puts up and everybody tracks the GPS and in all the, uh, you know, the physical statistics, the numbers that he's put up here at Clemson have, you know, been far superior to anybody we've ever had. And his, his, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, his ability to, to play game after game and to last durability throughout the game. Yeah. Durability. He's, he's not missed a practice. He's not missed the match. Um, you know, we rested him. We didn't start him in a couple of games, but I think in those games, you'll look that he played 70 minutes in the games. <laughs> Um, he's, uh, you know, and, and so for a team who's looking for a player who is going to impact their team and he is MLS ready to play as soon as they get him in the preseason, uh, but he, he will play, uh, you know, all the time. Nice. Now, now obviously he's, you know, there's a few, there's a few top players near the top of that draft. Um, and, and I always, whenever I, I, I talk to a coach who, who has players that are going to be in that competition for the top spot. I always, I always have to ask the question with a caveat. If you had the top pick and you're starting a team from scratch, who would you take in this draft that isn't from Clemson? I'd probably take, Oh God, that's hard to say. That isn't from Clemson. <laughs> right. right. Can't take your guy. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd probably take Daniel Ferrer. Nice. Um, because I think that he too can impact the game um, in uh, in both the attack and defense. I think that he's pretty complete. Uh, Calvin Harris is very very close, but he's more an attacking presence, and I, I still think that at the next level that he's got to refine his finishing. Uh, but he can impact the game. But I think Daniel Pereira is probably the most. MLS ready. Uh, I, I've been impressed with the Halsey, Halsey kid uh, from Virginia because right. we've seen him play as a right back uh, two years ago. Right. Uh, thought he was outstanding and he played as a central midfielder this year. So he's got a really, really good soccer brain. Um, so those are probably the, the three guys that I would uh that I would look at. Now with Pereira, it was inter- it's interesting that you mentioned him. You know, I had a chance to, to watch some of his action um, for first year to second year, and you definitely see the physical change in him from year one to year two. Like, you know, he I don't want to call it baby fat because I, I have enough my, myself, but he, he definitely looked like he, he got serious with the fitness, and then you saw him become more of a two-way player. Is that what you saw when you when you went against him? Yeah, I mean, that, that was that – was... He he did become more of uh, a player who could sustain his level for more amounts of time. He he wasn't taking breaks this year. You know, you see him in the attack pop up in the attacking third of the attacking half of the field last year, but this year he was you know more box to box. You know, ir- irony of irony though is you know he got a lot of publicity his, his freshman year and and. and Maya hadn't at that point, and we were going in the Virginia Tech game, and I looked at Mayaka, and he goes, "Coach, I take care of him." <laughs> nice. And he didn't. Uh, I mean, if you watched our Virginia Tech game, you know, Pereira didn't touch the ball. Maya was dominant. Nice, nice. Yeah, you can definitely do that. Uh, and and before I let you go, I do have to ask you about your other guy, uh, Jackson uh, Malou. Uh, now he center back can play some right back. Where, where do you see him as far as the, for for the next level? Uh, how, how do you see him? Kind of you know, what will help him succeed? 
Well, I think the versatility you just spoke about. Uh, he, he can play right back and an attacking right back. He's technically good enough. He's good enough in, in service, delivery, uh, physicality. He can get up and down the line. Um, but he's also a very good center back, very good in the air. Um, you know, can organize the defense. Uh, you know, and I think that, you know, FC Dallas has used uh, players, uh, Holly said, I think, as, as a you know, right back or center back at times. And I think that, that Justin fits in a similar mode. And I think that that's, you know, that's the asset that he has uh, going forward. Uh, he's he's definitely a, a player who, you know, although he is an international, um, I think he's someone who can contribute in the league and he can be a, he can be a very valuable player on someone's roster. Great, great. Well, I uh, definitely appreciate the time, and uh, you know, I- I'll say good luck since uh, obviously you know you're going to be cheering on. You know, these are these are like your kids here. You, you, yeah. I, I don't. You I don't forgot know if, about you forgot about the other one. Though. Who, who's that? I'm oh, sorry. Who did I forget? Kamarni Smith's going to be oh, picked before. I'm sorry. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, listen, I've been staring at a hundred names for about two weeks now. I bet you have. How did I forget? Of course, Kamarni Smith, who could uh, who could be top three, top four, top five. Uh, Thank you for reminding me. I, I got to ask you now. So he he's one he's one of the more exciting attacking players in this draft. You know, you played him up top. He can play on the wing. Where, where do you see him kind of fitting positionally? Yeah, I think I think Marnie is he's a dynamic attacking player. Uh, a lot of people have asked me if he can play as a left back as an attacking left back, and he's done that. Um, not for us as much as he did. He did it for a full summer with the PDL team. Uh, as he's matured through our program. You know, we have now been able to play him on the right side and on the left side as he understands the, you know, and tactically what he needs to do when he's on either side of the field, whether he's coming in on his left or whether he's trying to get behind teams uh, on the left, left-hand left side of the field. Again, uh, top, top uh, athletic dynamic player in terms of his pace. And uh, I think, again, an exciting player that uh, – you know, I think an MLS team is going to have, uh, you know, I, I've talked to a number of teams and they feel that he's, he can have an impact on their team right away. Right, right. Definitely, uh, you know, when you watch the highlights, you see just how dynamic he is. And, of course, anytime someone sees a super dynamic left-footed player, they start thinking of Alfonso Davies now. That seems like everyone, everyone's kind of looking for that golden goose at this point after the way Davies came along. But, um Kamarni definitely, Kamarni Smith definitely top potential top five, maybe even higher in this draft. And I, I, I I'd imagine I'm the first one to ask you about Malou before Kamarni. So I, I don't know if that's, a, <laughs> that's no, that, not, not necessarily. People, you know, people with lower picks have called us, uh, you know, lower first round picks have right. called us on Justin right. and you know, understand that. You know, I'm just proud of of all those guys uh, because they they've matured through our program and uh, they're hopefully going to have an opportunity to to carry on their careers and. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens whether they, they come back to school and finish the year or whether uh, the teams are going to sign them and, and move forward. And I think that is going to be determined a lot by, you know, what the league actually looks like uh, moving forward through the all the negotiations they've got going on right now for this upcoming season. That's right. That's right. Well, definitely appreciate the time and uh, good luck in the spring season. It's going to be a little bit of a different setup for you, uh, you know, playing a, an official an official spring season. Um, see if you can add another another trophy to that trophy case. So uh, definitely appreciate the time. Thanks, Alex. We appreciate it. And that's Mike Noonan, uh, a coach who's definitely yeah, 
produced his share of 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 draft picks and and obviously this could be the second year in a row that he has their number one pick uh and you know they're doing pretty well over there obviously they won the ncaa tournament um not, i'm sorry the acc tournament which is practically the ncaa tournament since they were the only conference that played um but between mayaka Kamarni Smith and uh, and Justin Malou, you're talking about three guys who could all be in the first round. You're definitely going to see those first two be in the top ten. Maybe Malou gets into the first round. And now up next, uh, another Wake Forest head coach, another another coach known for just cranking out that talent and developing that talent. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a who's who of players that have come through Wake Forest. When you talk about Jack Harrison, Mark McKenzie, obviously, who just both of those guys are over in Europe now, and they came through this coach's uh, ranks, and that is Wake Forest head coach Bobby Muse. Am I, am I saying it right? Is it Muse? Is that, is that you right? are? Yeah, no, you got it. Muse nice. is right. Yep. Yes, nice, nice. Uh, but that, that definitely. Thank you for joining us. And obviously, the MLS draft is here. And, and I know I got to believe that you're right there with me in in getting the most phone calls around this time of of the year because you always have top guys in the draft. And this year's no different. Um, and you have one of the one of your guys is one of the top two guys in this draft, and Calvin Harris. A lot of a lot of folks who follow MLS may not know much about him, so I have to ask you: Why should people get excited about Calvin Harris? And if their team gets Calvin Harris, what can they expect? Well, I think he's a special talent. He really is, and, and I, I still think he's got such such a big upside still to come. And I think he's, if you look at in his short tenure here at Wake, where he went when he got here, he came in as an early enrollee in January, and how far he's come in that time in two short seasons, uh, if he continues that growth in an MLS club at that level, the sky is really the limit. I mean, he's a dynamic attacking player with great size, great pace, um, great agility, uh, really strong on the ball with his ability to hold players off and turn players. And he's one of the few players that you see in college soccer that can really do a lot on his own. And I'm not just talking about taking players on about generating his own goal-scoring opportunities. You know, if you look at his highlights from the season, um, half of his goals are scored inside the inside the 12, and then the other half are scored outside the 18 from, from uh, finishing from distance. So um, he's multifaceted. You know, he could, he could set it up. He could definitely, um, far better than Brittany's highlight show, his, his ability to play off the pass and play proper football is, um, is, is at a different level. So I, I really do think, um, whoever gets him and they see him at the beginning, uh, two years from now, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, because I, I do think he's just continuing to grow. In terms of positionally, and, and I won't ask you to compare him to any specific players, but in terms of positionally, where do you see him kind of being the best fit? Like what, what position and what kind of system do you think would be best, best suited for him? Yeah, I think anyone that plays with, I mean, in a four-four-two, you could play, you know, as a as, as a winger, which is fine, you know. But I do think four-three-three, four-two-three-one, whatever you want to call it, as the seven or eleven, and we would play him on the left. And his ability to come inside and finish with his right foot, as I said, from distance, and the he's a really good pocket player where he can play uh, in between lines really well. He can drift out wide uh, and get isolated, but he does a really good job when he comes inside. So. We played him on the left because we loved him coming inside and trying to play with his right foot, but he could finish with his left as well. So it, it, it's, again, I think it opens up so many different variations for him and any type of team. We have used Calvin as a nine. Um, and, and he probably, when he first got here, probably fancied himself more as of a nine, but his, his, his play and his game is developed and transitioned where I do really think he's a, you know, he's definitely a winger at the next level. 
Right. Now, now one thing I, I'll give you definitely credit for. Now, most coaches, when you ask coaches about the players, every coach thinks their their players are the greatest players ever. But I'll give you credit for you know you're, you're definitely honest about your guys, but you've been pretty on point with some of the lesser known players that you uh, told me would do well. And, and two guys that come to mind are, are, are <laughs> Luis Argudo, who you said would would, would yeah. have himself a pro yeah. career, and he's done pretty well for himself. Uh, and then you definitely told me uh, Joey Dessert would would do would do something. And he obviously got drafted. He yeah. he earned minutes. Who's the guy this year that maybe people aren't aren't talking as much about, but who might surprise some people coming out of your system, out of your program? Well, you and I, you and I have talked about them, and, and and you know, in terms of, I have two that are probably a little bit more under the radar just because they didn't play this fall. And it's Michael DeShields, where I think it's in, in terms of pro ready. Um, I think Michael physically, I think mental, uh, you know, his mentality about the game and the way he approaches it, just being an older player. Um, I, I believe that he's MLS ready now. I don't know if anyone's MLS ready to play all the time, but to get opportunity to be in a first team and to make a roster and really have a bright future as a, a really good center back in the league. I think, I think Michael um, is definitely up on those charts. And, you know, from, you know, if we're talking about Wake Forest guys, and again, he's another player that was injured this year as well as is Justin McMaster, where, um, you know, a year ago, probably our most dynamic and our, uh, our leading goal scorer had an injury at the end of the season. And, and really that's when Calvin Harris took over, you know, in the attacking side of the game, we lost, Justin McMaster and Aristotle Zaris and Calvin Harris really rose to the occasion and hasn't hasn't let go of that and just only grew with it. So he gets a lot of pub, but he's really run with the opportunity. But uh, Justin's a really you know crafty, explosive, athletic player. Um, you know that uh, loves to beat players and can finish with both feet as well. So I do think Wake Forest right now we have a couple of guys maybe because of the the way our fall went. Although we played, these two young men didn't. Um, but I do, I do see them having long pro careers. Now, now this isn't draft related, but it just dawned on me. I should definitely ask you because we obviously have a lot of Atlanta United fans that that listen to the mm. show and that read SBI. So I got to ask you about Matchup Chol, uh, who signed a homegrown deal. Um, what, yeah. what can people expect? Because I, I feel like he's a guy who could actually come into the league and and make some things happen. The the the, the best defender of 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 Machop is is Machop himself. Uh, when he believes in himself and he's playing with confidence, uh, it really is an incredible talent to watch. I am very fortunate. I've been very fortunate. And the guys I just mentioned uh, and all the guys in my locker room and, and past guys that have had the opportunity to, to play with him and to train with him know exactly what I'm talking about. And I do think he just adds a different dimension to any club with his length, with the effortless that he uses to try to get by players and, and his craftiness in his feet. Um, you know, I, I'm first off, he's an incredible, humbled, uh, appreciative, hardworking young man. Um, that five years ago, six years ago, right? He, he just enters, um, you know, a competitive game at ATL with the youth club, and now he's signed a professional contract with a Wake Forest degree. May I add? Uh, just an incredible talent, incredible young man, and uh, he is going to do really well in the league because older players are going to want to help him because he's that type of kid. Nice. Um, you know, he, he's not going to upset people. He's going to put his, you know, his head down. He's going to grind and he's going to do good things. And, you know, um, I, I'll add, you know, another super talent that I do. And it, it's not, you know, not a, a promo for Wake Forest football right now, but uh, I, I think, I, I think Columbus crew got an incredible player on Isaiah Parente, which, you know, Isaiah has really been 
the, the engine that has made us go here the last two seasons. And, and I wouldn't be able to be able to talk about the guys that have moved on to the next level and are going to have great careers if I didn't bring up Isaiah Prente as well. Nice. Nice. Now, obviously, you've mentioned all the weight guys, so I'm going to ask you a little bit of a different question. That we can we can wrap up with this. It's a little bit of a tricky one for you. Now, let's say let's say you mm. are, you have you have you have been named an MLS coach of an expansion team, and you're starting from scratch. You can have anyone in this draft who's not from Wake Forest. Who would you take? Who would be your guy? That that you would start. Oh, that's your... <laughs> that's a that's a messed up question. That's a really well, messed up a, question. Or, 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 I, I, I would ask one of my guys to transfer and then draft him from another school. <laughs> all right, here, here's here's all right. I'll, I'll rephrase it a little bit for you. Who who's the guy that you faced this year that you would have loved mm-hmm. to coach? That you would love to have had on your team, and that you would love to have had the chance to work with? Who's the who's the player that you faced this year? It's interesting because he's not in the draft. Um, is Grayson Barber, and he just signed a homegrown contract with Sporting KC. Um, his work rate and his engine and his his ability to stretch teams and the way he can run the line and play off defenders' shoulders, I think he's one of the best that I've seen. Um, so in, in the draft of the he, draft guys of the draft. Guys. The, I know. I just I just I, I tried to get out of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know you're not going to give any yeah. Clemson guys or any ACC guys any. I was a Clemson guy. He's a Clemson guy. He's a Clemson guy. Of course. <laughs> You know, I, I can't say I can't say Danny Pereira because we didn't play Danny, and you said I had to play him. So with that, I, I would go. I, it would be a toss up because I am a I'm a huge Kamani Smith fan. You know the way he, you know, uh, he can change a game and he can score goals. Um, but you know, if you're talking about the draft and you talk about upside and talk about positionally, if you don't bring up Mayaka, you know what I mean. People will say you're crazy because I've seen him absolutely dominate games. Um, you know, at the college level, and I think he's. Again, still a younger player uh, with a with a huge upside. It, again, it's all about style of play and the way you want to play and how you do it. But you know, as a six, I, I think he's he's one of the better ones to come out of college soccer. People can question maybe his height, but whatever he doesn't have in size, he makes up the fight and bite and intelligence because he's a proper footballer. There's not a lot of sixes in this draft. Is that is it a college is it a, is it a college soccer thing? Is there a shortage of, of pure of, of true sixes, or is it just? Just one of those things that this year's. Well, I just think I just think I think it's it's more of the everybody wants the flash and the you know and 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 the glistening and you know what I mean the center backs are you know dunking goals or, or winning balls in the air and the wingers are taking players on and the attacking players get that but the connectors and the guys that do the little things for teams to win you know they normally stay in college you know what I mean and and they're there a little bit longer at least that's my opinion right, right. Um, you know you look at you know, we had Ian Harks and Jacory Hayes and. Um, you know, Brad Dunwells and, and guys that have played in the center of the park is they do all the things that allow the players that are going to go high in the draft to get drafted, basically. Um, they're the offensive linemen and the defensive linemen, in my opinion. And I, and I do think, but the way uh, Mayaka really made Clemson go for the last two seasons, I think it, it's been really evident, um, you know, the difference of them, you know, with him, you know, uh, and, and what he means for their club. So, yeah, that's the reason I think he's, He's, he's extremely high on everybody's radar. Nice, nice. Well, well definitely, I appreciate the input and the feedback. And uh, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot and say your name needs to be thrown in for MLS jobs yet, but uh, it's, it, people are going to start have to say that considering all the talent you keep cranking out. I don't know. It's going to it's good things kind of. <laughs> well, inevitable. you just said you 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 said a second ago. You like if you were hired, I'm like, but I'm a college guy. They said that <laughs> that would happen, so I just continue. Hey. I just continue to do my role. I, I love I love mentoring and I love. Um, 
you know, helping these young men reach their goals and ambitions, you know, and, and, and again, it's not even in the professional game of football. It's more of just as men, you know, getting their degrees and if they want to be doctors, lawyers, if they want to be players, uh, if we could just have a small piece in trying to help them get there, I, I love what I do and it makes it extremely special when you see kids reach their goals and dreams like they will tomorrow. Nice, nice. Well, hey, there's a, a college guy just won his second MLS Cup, uh, Caleb Porter, quote-unquote college guy, so maybe we'll see you there. He's, he's, he's our guy. That's our poster child. That's, That's right. our poster child. Go, Caleb. That's right. So, uh, yeah, no, definitely appreciate the time, and uh, good luck next season. You, your cupboards are, are bare, but every year you, you you bring in a whole new, <laughs> you know, you just you just reload. You don't you don't rebuild, you reload. So, uh, you know, good, good luck uh, this year. If spring. I had a dollar for every time someone said that, I, I don't think I'd be coaching <laughs> anymore, but it's not the truth. It, right. it is, you know, something that's uh, – it's not really the reloading part. It's the guys that are here that, that have been competing and playing with these guys and, and the guys that are leaving and the, the leadership that they've done and – I'm just fortunate that we have hardworking guys that want to get better and want to win. And, and uh, no matter who we have here, you know, that, that that's the objective. So I appreciate you taking the time and, and, uh, and showing some of the guys love and all you're doing to really cover not only the MLS, but these college guys that do deserve some love. So I appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you. And uh, definitely good luck this spring. Going to be a little different setup for you, right? It's first spring season. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how, we'll see how that goes, but definitely good luck in the spring. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to get you on again uh, down the road when we, uh, we talk about the all wake forest team against the all Virginia team that I, I was, I was throwing, uh, I was suggesting to you the other day, so we can get that done. Yeah, the other day at twelve thirty at night. Yeah, it was, it's, <laughs> oh, but hey, it's, no, it's good. I'm ready. I'm I'm, I'm ready to go. I, we're, hopefully, we're going to be adding a slew of them uh, that can help that team uh, compete. So uh, I appreciate it anytime. And that's Bobby Muse, and we'll see if if he can uh, add another number one overall pick to his his collection. But I tell you what, I, I, if he if he ends up number two, if Calvin Harris ends up number two, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think. That Bobby Muse would be too upset about that, but I definitely want to thank uh, Mike Noonan and, and Bobby Muse for coming on. You know, two two of the top top head coaches in college soccer, and as much as some people you know wonder about the role of college soccer, and is it still producing talent as a whole? Is it producing as much as it used to? No, not really. But these two schools and these two coaches are definitely doing their part to help crank out talent, and you see it in the draft every year and you see it in the players that are heading over to Europe. A lot of these guys are players that play for these schools. So definitely thanks for those guys for coming on. And I believe that's it. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, it's taken forever to get this show, put this show together. I was going to talk about the U S men's national team and Americans abroad. I'm going to save that for the next episode. I'm definitely apologizing uh, for not being able to get to more, but this episode is already, I'm sure so long with so much draft stuff that I think we're just going to contain this to a draft episode and we'll get the ball rolling on the other topics on the SBI show in future upcoming episodes. But I do want to say it feels good to be back. It feels good to have this, you know, the SBI show back and just, to, just to be in, in, uh, just be able to just talk about the game and you know i we did have the the um the sbi rundown which was our youtube show that me and garrett cleverly that we were doing for a while obviously our youtube channel is is currently offline we're trying to get it i'm trying to get it back online but one way or the other i the sbi show will be back and is back now and i am committing myself <laughs> to to making sure we are consistently on obviously we were starting to do that and then we know what happened the, p- the pandemic hit and that changed the game i'm back now and 
come along for the ride. Thank you for listening. And, you know, we'll see what we can do. We're going to definitely try to have guests on. We're going to try to have try to make it a just more consistent thing. We're going to have players on, coaches on, you name it. That's the that's that's the hope to bring the show back to what it was for those of you who remember seven, six, seven, eight years ago when we first started and we'd have a who's who of American soccer figures on the show. And that's the plan going forward. So thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check out the next episode where we break down the draft and talk about everything else under the sun in American soccer. That's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalarset. This is the SBI show. <laughs>